0: You're listening to the Bay Christian Family Church Podcast. Praise God. Once again, let your Bible open at Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. We have been taking some time to look at the rest of God. And as I've said before, and I'll say it again here, is that when we talk about various aspects of the kingdom of God, How do you know that Satan is petrified of a believer who knows their rights in the kingdom? Who knows the word and knows how to exercise that word? It's the word that Satan's afraid of. Not Christians, the word. And he'll do everything to silence that word in our lives. And if if we ever get to a point where we say, no, I'm still going to believe, doesn't matter what happens. Well, then he has to somehow strip the power from that. And how does he do it? He will turn that thing into a religious ritual. Because even Jesus said to the scribes and Pharisees of the day, they were like the pastors, the duomenies, the priests of the day. He said, The word that you're teaching you you've stripped my word of power because of your tradition. And so, yes, you can teach the word, but if you turn it into a religious ritual, then it loses its effect. And so there are many th- aspects in the kingdom of God where uh, people can take something, turn it into religious ritual, and you lose sight of it. And we want to make sure we don't fall in that trap as well. Always understand that whatever God established in His word was for purpose and intent. And so we are having a look at what does it mean for God's rest. Look at Hebrews four verse one says, there "A promise remains of entering His rest. Everybody say His rest." So there is a rest that's specifically labeled as God's rest. Because when we say rest, we may hear different things. You can rest because you're tired. If something comes to rest, that means it's stopped its motion. Uh, there's a rest that's involved that goes beyond that. And we talk about God's rest. When God rested, it wasn't because He was tired. We studied it out already. This is already part four or five. Because we spend a lot of time having a look at the fact that God, when He made creation, He did everything through the six days. Then on the seventh day, He rested. And He didn't rest because He was tired. God doesn't get tired. He never sleeps nor slumbers. He's God Almighty. And He didn't rest because He was moving and then stopped moving. He's always on the move. But He rested because He was finished. Everybody say, finished. Finished. And so he says "Yeah, a promise remains of entering God's rest. Let us fear lest any of you seem to come short of it. For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. We found out that that's the children of Israel as they were walking through the wilderness. But the word which they heard did not profit them. Why? Because it was not because not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. So it's possible to hear the word of God and for it not to work for you. Many people will hear the word and never, ever experience what that word has for them. But you and I want everything that's in the word. Can I get a bigger amen? amen? And so how do we do that? We mix it with faith. Verse 3, for we who believe do enter that rest. We who believe do enter the rest. Verse 4, for he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in this way. God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And then verse 9, there therefore remains a rest for the people of God. Everybody say, I am of God's people. There remains a rest for us. For he who has entered God's rest has himself, that's you, also ceased from your works as God did from his. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest. Now notice, as we've seen it before, when he says, let us be diligent, other translation says, labor to enter that rest. We recognize this rest doesn't happen by accident. Like if you just stop working and stop moving, that's automatically a rest. That's not what we're talking about. There's a rest that we have to enter into. You have to purpose to enter this rest. And so if it's available, we don't want to land short of it, that word says, through disobedience. But we want to experience the rest of God. So how does that work? How do we press into that? And that's what we've been having a look at. And remember, we had a look at how Adam had given up on that rest. Basically, he had nothing ever to do except trust God. And God would protect him, look after him, feed him, provide for him. But he submitted to a fallen creature, Satan. And the enemy moved in. And encourage him to take part of the knowledge of good and evil, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, you do a word study and you find out that word knowledge that's used there is the same word used. It's through knowledge that comes as a result of experimentation, knowledge that comes through experience. In other words, trial and error. Uh, much of science is built on that. Let's try this. That didn't work. Let's try that. That does work. Let's try and refine it until eventually you figure out now you can write the law down. God never intended for you to live that way. He intends for you to know exactly what happens next. You don't, there's no trial and error. You don't have to invest here and hope it works. Oh, that didn't. Now I need to sell at a loss and buy over here. To, uh, no, no. He says you can know ahead of time. Amen. But when, Satan discon- uh, when when Adam disconnected with God's system through Satan influencing, he chose a system where he moved into knowledge of good and evil. this trial and error life. And so gave up on the rest. Now everything is going to be a slog and a toil because you've got to keep working to hope you hit the mark somewhere. But when you're living in God's kingdom, His rest, you don't have to live that way. You'll always experience God's best. Hallelujah. And so we tracked it through and eventually we got to Abraham, and Genesis chapter 12 verse 1, the Lord said to Abraham, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. See, God knows exactly where we need to be. He'll direct our paths. I will make you a great, a great, no, it's not a religion. When we talk about the kingdom of God, even you as a Christian, it's not like we are one of the many religions. You know, at the end of the day, there's all these different philosophies, different religions. No, we're talking about a nation. A nation is a people group. When you talk about religion, there's all types of religions out there. Even if you want to turn it this way, even when you talk about atheism is a form of religion. Some of those people say atheists don't believe anything. No, they they do believe. Every single person's a believer. Everybody believes something. I said everybody believes something. I remember there was a title of a book that I once saw. It says, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. Because even the concept that everything came from nothing is, is, is really, you know, you've got to have a lot of faith from that unless there's a God involved. Are you with me? But, you know, that's another line. I won't go down there now. The point I'm making is that in the world, we've got many many different types of religions, and it wasn't like God was introducing a new religion yet. He said, I'm going to make you a great nation. And as we already studied out, nation doesn't just mean countries, because we know that when it comes to a country, that's man-defined. You know, if you're born this side of the line, you're Zimbabwean, but if you're born this side of the line, you're South African. But at the end of the day, it could have been the same families just living on either side of the river. Are you with me? So you've got two families, but one South African and one Zimbabwean. That, that's human... Uh, dis- designed nations. But then you've got the nation. Uh, every one of us have come from a people group. Uh, you know, Our ancestors came from certain regions and certain tribes and different da- descendants. But even there, a lot of our families moved around. There's wars, readjusted families, movements, and, and, and culture, and uh, rains, and seasons. And there's a, In the beginning, before there were actual lines in the ground, uh, people moved everywhere. There's constant moving. So when you say, I'm of this nation group, even if you just want to call it tribal, are you sure about that? Because you may find somewhere down the line somebody else got involved in another nation. So we all come from so many different, varied backgrounds. But when it comes to nation in God's perspective, God, when He says nation, He's taking a man to create a nation. In other words, it's out of Him, He's the family. And a lot of nation groups today have come from an original family, but the family just grew and grew and grew and grew till eventually it's not just the family down the road. It's that one across the river, that that, that nation over there. It's so big, you can't just call them a family anymore. And that's where God's saying to Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing. See, everything God does is for purpose. Everything God does in this earth is through a person. He even said he doesn't do anything unless he first tells his prophet. And so if you've received anything, if you got born again, if you believe the word of God, how do you know the first time you heard, before you learned how to hear the voice of God, whatever you heard came out of the voice of a man or a woman. Isn't that right? Very, 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 very very, very few people are born again because God showed up in their room and said, I want you to follow me. Isn't that right? The fact that you, following Jesus, you probably heard somebody preach it and you believed and chose to believe that. When you got something, when you say, God gave me a car, it didn't fall out of heaven. Someone handed you the key, isn't that right? It came through the hand. God's chosen to move in this earth through people. And so he wants to bless this world. He wants this world to experience his blessing, but he knows it's going to come through you. And so he tells Abraham, I'm going to bless you, but the purpose is I want this world to experience my blessing. Say, I am blessed to be a blessing. Verse 3, I will bless those who bless you, I will curse him who curses you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Notice God uses nation and families interchangeably. Through you all families will be blessed. Say that, through me all families will be blessed. And so we saw how Abraham went to Egypt, and as a result of having been in Egypt he came out, very rich remember genesis 132 abram was very rich in livestock in silver and in gold and then god shows him all the land says, as far as your eye can see he'll give it to him and then as a result uh, him and lot separated lot was captured by those kings and uh, his family was kidnapped and all their goods were taken away abram got 318 of his servants And he went and conquered them and got them all back. And then he went to go and see his high priest. Genesis chapter 14, verse 18. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. Everybody say covenant meal. He was priest of God Most High. And Melchizedek blessed Abram and said, Blessed be Abram of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abraham gave Melchizedek a tithe of all. What's tithe? Tithe means ten percent. Whatever Abraham got in recovering Lot and everything that they had stolen, he gave ten percent to Melchizedek, the priest. Now, family, God, something I want you to see here. Notice, listen to the wording. It says that Melchizedek blessed Abraham and called him blessed. Then. Abraham gave the tithe. See, if that's where religious tradition becomes very dangerous, is there's this concept that you, you tithe in order to get the blessing. But you notice here, Abraham was first called blessed. Once he's called blessed, the result is he tithed. Now that's subtle. You've got to pick that up because if the enemy can convince us that it's somehow taught that you tithe in order to be blessed, then it's a very easy next step where you understand that once you study the Word, you find out that Jesus was made to be a curse on the cross so that the blessing of Abraham may come upon us. In other words, the moment you're born again, you are blessed. The Word says you're blessed with every spiritual blessing. He's given you all things pertaining to life and godliness. It's done. It's finished. By His stripes, you are healed. It's complete. It's already finished. He will supply you every need. There's nothing more that God will do. And that's also the other areas where somehow we feel, okay, now I've just got to do one more thing to get God to. No, He's already done it all. When Jesus said, it is finished, it's available. And so you and I tap into that by faith. But if you can somehow convince us, in other words, people say, well, you see there, now Jesus has already blessed me. I'm already blessed. So therefore, tithing's not for today because I don't need to tithe to get blessed. Jesus is my blessing. But that's a misunderstanding. That's the next step forward is somehow the enemy can talk us out of tithing because that's not the point. Tithing was never to buy the blessing. God used that wording under the old covenant because they were not living the blessed life. So he said, no, nah, I'm instituting it here. But Abraham, there was no religion even. There was no law, certainly no law, and definitely not a religion. He didn't take it to his church or his synagogue. He had a priest, but no religion. Oh, come on. You've got to get this. He's a nation. Are you getting this? But he had a priest, someone that he saw represented God in this earth. And as a result, he took that tithe to him. Now, notice the response. Melchizedek calls him blessed. His natural response is, well, now I'm going to lay the tithe down. Because I'm blessed, I get to do this. Amen. Amen. That's why some people say, do Christians have to tithe? And my question to that is, do I have to kiss my wife? I mean, give me a break. What, do you, what kind of question is that? Do I have to kiss my wife? Yo, yo, I, I get to. Come on, are you with me? Just don't ever get between us. That, that, that's, I love her. That's my privilege. I, have a, I want to express my affection for her. I want her to know I love her. And that's one of the ways to do it. So you don't you're not, ever, thou shalt kiss thy wife. You don't have to tell me to. I want to. Isn't that right? So the same way, you do not have to tell me to tithe. God has blessed me. He's, he's done so much in my life. He's, he's, he works in overflow. He's never asked for anything in return except my obedience. And if that's all he's doing, well, then I get to do this. I get to express my love to him. Hallelujah. How many you get a hold of that? How many of you would say the same thing for you? Amen. And so as a result of that, Abraham's living this blessed life. And we move on and we see here uh, as a result of that, Genesis chapter f- uh, 15 verse one, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision saying, "Do not be afraid, Abraham, I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. Hallelujah, I love exceeding. How many you love exceeding? I mean, I want exceeding blessing. I want exceeding provision. I want exceeding protection. I love the exceeding life. Say amen. See Hebrews 11 verse 6. He who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. See without that faith it's impossible to please God. But he says over here, he tells Abraham, I am your exceedingly great reward. And so as a result of that, Abraham says, he goes on and says in verse 2. But Abraham said, Lord God. What will you give me, seeing I go childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? Look, you've given me no offspring, indeed one born in my house is my heir. In other words, Abram had the same response any father would have, I should leave an inheritance to my children, but he didn't have children, so he chose somebody who was living in the house, maybe it was a child of a servant, and he said, I'm going to make you my heir. And he says, look, someone that's not my offspring is my heir, but you saying you're my great reward. And so the response is in verse 4, Behold, the word of the Lord came to Abraham saying, This one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. From your own body. And so God brought him outside and said, Look now toward heaven. Count the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to them, so shall your descendants be. Family, I mean, have you ever looked up into the night sky and seen how many stars there are? Particularly if you're out in the countryside where there's no city lights. I mean, they're using telescopes that are so beyond powerful today uh, that that, uh, they're still finding stars. uh, As as the telescopes get more and more powerful, they discover there's even more and more stars. And God says, if you can number them, well, then you get an idea of what your descendants are going to be. And this is a man who doesn't have any son yet. But God says, I'm going to do this through you. And verse 6, he, Abraham believed the Lord and was accounted to him for righteousness. Hallelujah. Righteousness on credit. And so God promises to give him a son. Now, what we may not realize that when that was stated, Abraham was already 75 years old. 75 years old. Number the stars if you can, that's what your descendants are going to be like. I mean, it's not like this man got started at the age of 15, 16 or 20 or whatever. Are you with me? No, he's already 75. And so he says, you're going to be a great nation. Okay, so we keep going on here and we see in uh, Genesis 16 is that by now, and time has ticked on and you do a, a word study, a time study, you'll find out this is when Abraham's about 86 years old, uh, but he hasn't fallen, uh, Sarah hadn't fallen pregnant yet, so we're talking about almost 10 years yeah, just over 10 years, and uh, no son has arrived. So Sarah figures out a, pray, uh, a plan. So she says, look, I, obviously I'm barren, it's not going to happen. If God said you're going to have a son, well, maybe we need to get involved here. Yeah. And so he, she offers her servant Hagar, to Abraham to go and have a son with him with, with her. And as a result of that Ishmael is born. Now just to fast forward, uh, we won't go into it right now, but because it'll come later in the study, is that uh, when it came time to, for God to remember he had a son Isaac. As a result of Isaac, God says to Abraham, take Isaac, your son, your only son. So Ishmael was born, but God didn't recognize it. Why? Because what happened was God had given a promise, but when it looked like nothing was happening, they stepped out of rest into works said, all right, now we're going to make this happen. I got a promise from God, but it doesn't look like God's doing anything, so now we have to get involved. And that work of the flesh was not even recognized by God. So that's part of where we're going now. So you understand the difference. So yes, God spoke, but now instead of trusting God, they got involved. And as a result of getting involved, cooking up their own plan... They landed up with an Ishmael. Now, Ishmael is still, as a nation, alive today, causing a lot of trouble. And you look through history, the amount of trouble that came through that descendancy. Family of God, you and I do not want to create Ishmaels. If God's given a promise, I want what He says. I'm not going to get involved with my work of the flesh to try and make the thing happen. If God can't make it happen, I don't want it. How do you say amen to that? And so now, he, as I said, he was 75, then Ishmael's born at around 86. Now, Genesis chapter 17, verse 1. When Abraham was old? Okay, now we're quite a few more years ahead yet. This is almost 25 years since God first spoke to him. With an Ishmael in between. He is now almost a hundred, ninety-nine years old. The Lord appeared to Abraham and said to him, I am almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless. And I will make my covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you exceedingly. There it is again. Everybody say exceeding. Then Abram fell on his face and God talked with him saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be a father of many nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. I'll make you exceedingly fruitful. Everybody say exceedingly. And I'll make nations of you, and kings shall come from you. That's me. And I will establish my covenant between me and you, and your descendants after you, in your generations, for an everlasting covenant. Everybody say everlasting. Everlasting. To be God to you, and your descendants after you. Also I give to you and your descendants after you the land in which you're a stranger, all the land of Canaan, as an everlasting possession, I will be their God. Very soon after this, within one year, Isaac is born. What happened? God spoke to this man and said, I'm going to make you a great nation, 75 years old. Ten years later, him and his wife cook up a plan to make this thing work. God doesn't even recognize it. Gets to 25 years later, almost, he's 99, and something happens. And within one year, Isaac's born. What happened? God said to him, your name's Abram. The name Abram is from a Hebrew word. That simply means exalted father. Father. How do you know any man could have a son? Once that son is born, just one son, you're now a father. It doesn't take a lot to be a father. Just one son, one daughter, one child makes you a father. But he says, I've already told you I'm going to make you a nation. So it's not just one son that's going to do this. I am going to make you a father of many nations. So he takes the name Abram, which means father, and he changes it ever so slightly to Abraham. And in the Hebrew word, just introduce an extra letter, and by introducing that letter, it changes the name from Abram to being father. It suddenly means father of a multitude. Father of multitude. Of a multitude. In other words, from that moment on, now if someone asked him, What's your name? he says, Oh, by the way, I need to tell you my new name. And in speaking Hebrew, he's saying, I am the father of many nations. And people may look at that and say, What do you mean? Maybe they went home and said, Can you believe Abe down the road? I mean, he comes and tells me he's the father of many nations. And now you can just be going, hello, father of many nations. And everybody's now starting to call him father of many nations. And by everybody calling him now father of many nations within one year, Isaac is born. Notice how powerful the change in description happened. Now why is this so important to know? What happened yet? Well let's go and have a look at Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11, we find that Jesus is living with his friends in Bethany, and every morning they were going through to Jerusalem, He was busy in a time of ministry in Jerusalem. And verse 12, the next day when they'd come out from Bethany, Jesus was hungry. And seeing from afar a fig tree having leaves, he went to see if perhaps he could find something on it. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. Now, family of God, why did he go look at the tree? I mean, if it's not the season for figs, Jesus grew up in that region. He knows the fig trees. And everybody knew that's not the season for figs. So why did he bother even going to look at the tree? Well, if you do a study, you'll find out that the tree in that region that bears figs, uh, it has the way of before there are any figs on it, it doesn't have any leaves. But the moment it produces figs, it throws out the leaves at the same time. So the fact that it puts leaves out, it says, I'm now producing figs. And so when Jesus saw it, Even though it's not the season, he says, but that tree has leaves. So it's advertising I've got figs. So he went to go and look and didn't find any figs. In other words, the tree lied. Now that may come as a shock statement. I mean, trees speak. Just hang on. Just keep reading. You'll be amazed what you see in the Bible. Because now Jesus, in response... In fact, the King James Version says he answered the tree. So if you're answering means you're in conversation. Jesus, in response, says to it, says to it, the tree, let no one eat from you ever again. And his disciples heard it. So he didn't say, No one's gonna eat from this tree ever again. No, he speaks to the tree. And notice it says the disciples heard it. Now that's a key statement because I don't know about you, but if, 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 if it's like weird to talk to stuff, you don't really want people to see. Isn't that right? It's like, okay, I need to do this, so. No, I need for Because <laughs> you don't want to be called out on being a weirdo. Isn't that right? No. He steps back and verbally, audibly, his disciples hear it. No one eats fruit from you ever again. And he speaks to it. Why? Because the tree had spoken, said I have leaves that lied, and Jesus is not going to tolerate non-productivity in his kingdom. And he addresses that tree, but there's a bigger, there's a far greater illustration behind this which you need to see. Because now he's spoken to this tree. The next morning, so they're going to Jerusalem, and things happen there. They go back home that night, walk past the tree. And then the next morning, they're leading Bethany back to Jerusalem again. And verse 12, the next day when they'd come out from Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Uh, we read that. Verse 20. Now in the morning, the next morning, they passed by. They saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter, remembering, said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed has withered away. So Jesus answered and said to him, have faith in God. That's a very interesting response to that statement. He didn't say, yeah, I do that. I'm Jesus. And when I no, he says you. Have faith in God. Now, if you do a word study, we don't have time to do it today, but that statement literally, the way it's written in the original, is that you must have faith the way God has it. Have the God kind of faith. Exercise faith the way God does. We wouldn't have faith if we didn't receive faith from the one who is faith, and that is God. Faith is in the word. Isn't that right? It's at the hearing of his word, faith comes. And Jesus says, yeah, you need to exercise that faith the way God designed for it to be exercised. What is that, Jesus? He says in verse 23, for assuredly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain. Oh, now we've gone from talking to trees to mountains. You know, the tree, you could still say, well, it's living, you know, it's got a little bit of life in it. But a mountain, it's a rock. It's inanimate. How, how we talk to a rock? See, this is so way out religious minds, people that, that don't understand these things, because family God, you do, not, you do not just need ears on your head to be able to hear audible sound. Even Jesus said, "He his ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying. Everybody there was hearing the audible noise, but he's saying there's more being said. You need an inner ear to hear. So you don't just hear audible sounds with your ears. Creation is listening. All of creation is listening. He's saying, if you speak to this mountain, what's going to happen? He says "Yeah, you tell this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and you don't doubt in your heart. But believe that those things that you say will be done. You will have whatever you say. Now, who said that? Have you got a red letter edition Bible with you here? Anyone got it printed? What color is that in? It's red, which means Jesus said it. Isn't that right? If Jesus said it, if it's in red. It's always right. This is not some guru, this is not some Christian scientist, it's not some, you know, weird faith teacher, weird faith preacher. No, it's got nothing to do with what people think or say about the word of faith, whatever. It's got nothing to do with that. It's Jesus. Do you believe Jesus? How many you believe that Jesus said he came to destroy the work of Satan? He came for this purpose, to seek and save that which is lost. He said in his word, and if you believe with your heart that he's raised from the dead, confess with your mouth that he's your Lord and Savior, you will be saved. How do you believe that? You're basing your salvation on what Jesus said? Then that same man said, you have what you say." No, you can't argue your way out of that one. You have what you say. See, that's what God was doing with Abraham. You believe me. I counted it as righteousness. But come on, Abraham. I need you to be part of the program. It's no good just believing. You need to start saying it. You need to see it with your mouth. Start saying what you believe. And the moment he got his tongue involved with what God had already said, within one year, Isaac was born. Isn't that powerful? Isn't that amazing? He goes on and he says in verse 24, Therefore I say... So he just established, you have what you say. That qualifies what he's about to say is going to be. Therefore I say, whatever things you ask when you pray... Believe you receive them, and you will have them. You will have it. See, family, it's going to take a conversion happening. We have to get to the place where we believe that when we speak, it happens. Maybe someone says, yeah, but I do believe that. Hang, whoa, whoa, hang on. Before we go further, I have to listen to what some people say. And I can tell they don't really believe what they say will happen why because some of the things they say that if I stopped them at that moment I said can we click a button and that what you just said happens now would you want that oh no 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 that's just a figure of speech exactly because you think it's a figure of speech but it's not what you say happens my feet are killing me whoa do you want to die of feet I'm sure you don't. Come on. You're hearing what I'm saying. I, cont- I, I tell you, there, there are so many people I hear. I still hear it today. No, Johnny, you can't go outside. Oh, really? Johnny can't go outside. It means if he tried, he'd boom, hit the front door. Even if the door's open, there's something he can't go out. No, he can go out. Yeah, but I don't want him outside. That's different. He can go out, but not now. You see how we use words. If we use can and can't incorrectly, the Bible says all things are possible to those who believe. So I need to get my can in place. Amen. I can. I can be blessed. I can own that house. I can have that job. Amen. But not all things are are, are legal and moral and right and accurate. So I adjust my speech. Family, the reason I'm saying this is we need to make sure we're speaking accurately. Because what happened? Abraham first tried to work and make this thing and created himself. But when he chose to believe God, he had entered a rest. Now, you know, there's still work involved. You'll hear me say, when I pray for someone and they say they can't fall pregnant, we pray, we bless them, they are now fruitful. Then I always tell them, I remember, faith without works is dead. There is something more to do. You do understand that. So Abraham had something more to do. It's not like you you do nothing now. No, the point is he moved from flesh work, trying to do it for God, to where he said, I am the father of many nations. And without even trying, Sarah fell pregnant. And that's the point that I'm making here. Is we need to challenge ourselves. Yeah. Amen. Well, Janine and I did it. We, you need an accountability partner. Because sometimes we're not even aware. It's uh, so part of our speech sometimes what we say. And what we did is we still do it today. But in the early days we needed it a lot. Because we were learning these things. And we just said, let's help each other. And you need someone that's not going to criticize you. Oh, yeah, Christians don't say that. That's not what we're talking about. It's, it's, are we going to help each other? Yeah, in love. You need someone that you know wants the best for you. And sometimes we would say something. I'd just say something, just, you know, just, you're just speaking. You say it. And we need to stop each other and say, hang on now. Should I stand in agreement with that statement? Do you want me to agree on that one? Because if you do, I'll come into agreement with you. No, 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 no. I don't, I don't want that. No. Okay. I get what you're saying. Then we need to make that adjustment. And then immediately call the truth according to God's word. That's how you cancel bad seed. If you sow a bad word, look, if you, if you, if you drop some wrong seed in the ground, you just have to pull it out. So you say, no, I cancel that. I, I, I bind that in Jesus' name. And Father, instead, I'm speaking the word. You have blessed me. I am healed I am provided for. I am protected. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so you get the right words out there. And get to a practice of continuously saying the accurate thing. Because here's what happened. Within 12 months, what took 25 years, in a 99-year-old man, Isaac is born. Within 12. The uh, Now, notice it takes nine months for the baby to grow. Hello. So, in fact, it was within a few months, if not weeks, of changing his confession that Sarah fell pregnant. Come on, give Jesus praise. Hallelujah. You get something this morning? Let's stand to our feet. Raise your hand to the Lord and say, today I've heard the word of God. That word brought faith to my heart. And I am a believer, not a doubter. As a hearer of the word, I'm also a doer. My first action of doing is in the speaking. I declare God's word to be yes and amen. And I'm going to do that from this day on. Everything God says is what I say, and I have what I say, in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me just wrap up. Listen to this. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 13. We're going to pick up here next time. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 13. Since we have the same spirit of faith. What's the spirit? It's not talking about the Holy Spirit here. Not even your spirit. It's talking about an attitude. It's like a team spirit. It's an attitude, a prevailing action. What's the spirit of faith? According to what is written, I believe, therefore I spoke. We also believe and therefore speak. What do we speak? What we believe. Amen. So when someone says, I do believe, but, whoa, there's no but after I believe. Because once you say, I believe, the next word out of your mouth is going to be what you believe. Amen. Amen. So that's what we're doing. We're going to operate in the spirit of faith.